Welcome everyone. Today we have a guest on our show. We have with us Anuradha Goyal, who is the author of In Details, one of India's oldest travel blogs. I met her on Twitter and I read her book Lotus in the Stone and I've had some very interesting conversations with her. She's very well traveled across India and she has a lot of knowledge on Indian scriptures. In this podcast, we're going to discuss how to travel India for both Indians and for foreigners, what the best places are, how much it costs, and what things you should keep in mind. And just a quick note before we begin, throughout the podcast, I'm going to address Anuradha by her first name, even though she is much older than I am. This is simply for the comfort of an international audience. So let's begin. Welcome, Anuradha. How are you doing today? Namaste, Harsh. I'm very good and I hope you're having a great time. I'm doing quite well. I'm doing quite well. I've been looking at your Twitter account and your blog and it is quite impressive. I actually like the content very much. I, I do think that everyone listening to us today is going to find your content super interesting. So why don't you start with telling us a bit about what you've been doing and your journey Thank you for those kind words. Uh, well, my journey is uh, a journey of what I called uh, a series of experiments. So I studied computer science, physics, worked in IT industry for a long time. And I grew up in India in various places because my father worked in the defense. Uh, worked in the IT industry. And while I was working there, I started experiment with the blogging. Blogging was just a new tool uh, and I was just experimenting with it, writing random things like what I did on the weekend, I reviewing books that I read, not even reviewing, writing my reflections on the books I was uh, reading and writing about all the travels I was doing uh, primarily during weekends those days, but otherwise as well. Uh, over a period of time, uh, it got developed into two very, very strong blogs, which is uh, In Details, which is the travel blog and my personal website where I have uh, the book reviews and my newspaper columns and all the other things that I feel like writing about where I have some thoughts to share with the world. Uh, it was all organic. Uh, I started at a time when mm -hmm. people did not know what blogging is. People did not know what the future of the blogging would be that would come probably five six seven eight years after i started i started in 2004 and the commercialization of blogs started sometime in 2012 13 11 12 13 around that time and in the beginning it was not really the monetization the way we monetize today uh, the monetization models evolved over a period of time so it has been a series of experiments a bit of uh, following your heart, uh, a bit of uh, uh, doing what you want to do and seeing the impact of that on the world. Um, so uh, I, I would say in overall today, I'm in an enviable position. A lot of people would like to be in my shoes where all you do is read, write and travel or travel and then read and then write or whichever sequence you put it in a circle or a triangle of reading, writing and traveling. That's actually a very creative and envious position to be in. I do agree with you there. It's super interesting that you started in 2004. 2004 was really the early era of the internet. And for people who don't remember, this was before Facebook, social media and things of that sort. So how did you persevere for so many years, especially at a time where you were not making money writing? Was it truly a passion or were you forward thinking that this is going to be a big business in the future? Okay, so uh, let me tell you, I was doing uh, very well in my IT career and uh, which I had started working in uh, around the time I was 22, 23 uh, after my college placement. And I mm -hmm. had when I had joined that industry uh, in my head, I had decided that I will quit when I'm 35. And after that, I'll do whatever I feel like doing. And I must build my financial base by the time I'm 35. And that is exactly what I did. I built my basic base. I'm not saying I have 
created an empire or anything, but I, by the time I was 35, I had my house, I had my car, I had my uh, basic investments in place to take care of my basic needs for the rest of my life. Uh, and, uh, and it has nothing to do with blogging. Blogging was happening on the side, uh, more as a hobby, more as a fun thing. Like I said, a uh, lot of the commercialization part would come later. And now what helped me persevere is the fact that I, this is something that I enjoy doing. This is something which is my sacred space. My blog is my sacred space. It's a sacred space that I have created. And I, uh, it has given me a lot in my life. Uh, I may not have monetized it like a lot of uh, super bloggers like you and a lot of other bloggers. Uh, but uh, it has given me something much more than what money can buy. Mm. Given me a lot of influence. It has given me a lot of credibility. It has given me a network. It has given me the kind of respect and love that no money can ever buy. Of course, I think the fact that you can reach so many people and teach them and speak with them is in itself a very big thing. Yes. And especially for someone like you who is truly passionate about it and not just in it for the money. Like nowadays people will start writing. They don't care about writing. They just want to make money. So there's a difference there. There's a quality yes. difference there that those guys can't match. Yes. In fact, when I conduct uh, some workshops on blogging, I always say that be very clear. Are you in it for money or are you in it for passion? Because you can't do both. Uh, you can't balance the both. If you are in it for money, then you'll have to do everything that gets you money, which may not really be what you are passionate about. I would say my balance is definitely tilted towards passion. And that gives me the freedom to say no to a lot of money. But I, I would also admit that I'm in a position where I can say no to that money. Or I have reached that state of life where I can say no to that money. For example, I'll give you an example. I'm in the travel mm -hmm. space. We have a, a, a reasonable influence in the travel space. Um, most of the money in travel space comes from places like casinos and we refuse to give them space on our sacred space. So, and that's, that means I have to let go of a lot of money. Uh, I'm a, what do you mean it comes from casinos? I mean, they, they give you sponsored content, advertisements. Oh, okay. okay. Because they are making, even during pandemic, even during, you know, they are the big money spinners in this business. Uh, there are others as well. We, we, I, I think we work with almost all kinds of tourism boards, hospitality brands, uh, and anybody who's to do anything with travel, we work with them. Uh, but there are, uh, so those are the brands we agree with. So we work with them. So for example, I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegetarian by birth mm -hmm. and by choice. Um, so I would not promote a non-vegetarian brand because my audience knows very clearly. They trust me. I will never do a mm -hmm. surrogate or I will never do anything which will kill that trust. So, uh, uh, but to be able to take those calls, your passion uh, tilt has to be very, very strong. Or that absolute clarity has to be there, which uh, also takes time. You know, when you are in the beginning of your career or beginning of your blogging journey, most of the bloggers take time to figure out what their niche is. Most people don't know what their niche is and what they stand for. Um, and if you don't stand for anything, you'll never be able to make a uh, make a, a, a standing for yourself. Then, then you'll keep going with the waves. And I believe me, I have seen a lot of waves coming and going in blogging. There are people who have gone up with the wave and they've come down with the wave because yeah, they were just following the wave. But I have chosen to stay at a stable state where, um, uh, you know, I, I don't really go up and down. I don't play the SEO games. I don't play uh, a lot of trend games. Uh, 
but i i choose to write about things and places which i think truly deserve the uh, the attention uh, that they are not getting i see so you are in it for the long run Absolutely. and i have been it, course, you know i like indeed it is probably like the oldest living travel blog in india so 17 years yes 18 now it's 2022 yeah september it will be 18 yeah <laughs> September it'll be 18 it can start drinking yes <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into traveling how long have you been traveling for and can you tell us a bit about your early trips because i was actually reading your book lotus in the stone and you talk about one of your first journeys and it was when you were a kid yes. you were traveling to a village yes so my first solo trip so to say was probably when i was 6 or 7 and my grand I, i used to i grew up with my grandmother so uh, she sent me from the town we were living in to another town which was maybe 30 40 kilometers apart but you had to take a bus go there uh, you know um, meet my grandmother's uh, sister and do whatever job it was to be done and come back and i did that and my grandmother is my biggest uh, inspiration for traveling as well as for life I still remember I was scared for on that journey and uh, when I told her that I'm scared and uh, in Punjabi she said muh mein zuban to hai na you know which means you have a tongue in your mouth you if you are stuck ask people you know and that's my motto you know it's okay if I don't know I can't know everything if I don't know something I'll go to the person who knows and ask and know it for the rest of my life so that was indeed the first journey but like i said i grew up in different army cantonments uh, and i must say that i, I probably uh, i received it in my genes but inherently i also believe everybody likes to travel most people like to travel some people are lazier and they don't travel but most people like to travel and i got a lot of opportunities to travel uh, during my growing up years i think i traveled a lot during my student days during my early career um all through my working career of 12 13 years uh, in the corporate world i took every opportunity to travel wherever i could i remember i was in uk for 6 7 months and the first thing i did when i landed there was to buy the lonely planet and every weekend or every friday evening i'll be out to a new place exploring the new place and coming back you know i learned this last year how to travel i think people complicated too much where they think it's going to be a big deal to travel but really it's as simple as buying a ticket and going yes it is sometimes you don't even need a ticket in fact uh, all through the pandemic time people have been uh, calling me and saying you must be traumatized you must be uh you know it must be very difficult for you because you used to travel so much i said no i'm perfectly fine because i can i know if i want to travel i can just take a walk around at my own city and find 10 new things uh, during every walk and uh, in fact you know one of the biggest feedbacks that i get from my blog is that uh, you know i have been um, i have been born and brought up in this city but i never knew this about my city when till i read about it on in details so uh, there is a lot that is around us it is not necessary to buy a ticket and go to an entirely new place if you live in a big enough city if you live in a delhi or a bombay or a bangalore or a new york or a london you can spend a lifetime exploring those places uh, if you live in south delhi old delhi is another world the same goes for many areas of any big city anywhere in the world if you live in a small city you can just take a bus to the next town and there's so much to explore around you and if you live in places which have been inhabited for a very long time they have layers and layers and layers of stories to unravel so it's as simple as just going out there talking to people and exploring new places taking huh? a walk and taking a walk <laughs> and the bus so what are the most interesting places you visited that maybe changed your perspective and were different from what you expected 
Okay, so two things. One, uh, uh, the question I refuse to answer is tell us your top three places to visit or five places to visit because anybody who's visited five places can tell you five places to visit. Somebody who's visited 500 or 5,000 places will never be able to tell those five places. Mm. One. Sec- so the librarian's dilemma. Yes. Which is your favorite book? It's not a dilemma. It's, it's you know, the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know that, uh, the beauty lies in your own eyes or the or in mm. your own curiosity in this case you know the curiosity with which you go to a place is what uh, decides your experience uh, you know it's like you can go to the most wise person on earth but if your questions are silly you'll get silly answers if your questions are profound you'll get profound answers so the same is with destinations this is like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> where they ask them the meaning of the universe and the machine says 42. Yeah. And then they try asking the question. <laughs> yes, yes. So it all depends on what you ask for. The questions, besides, that's why when you look at Indian scriptures, when you read of them, they are always uh, the discussion or the conversation is driven by the person who's asking the question. That's why an interview is driven by the person who's asking the question. The kind of question you mm. ask is the kind of answer you will get. All right, let me frame the question differently <laughs> then. So if you had to travel India for, let's say that you are someone from abroad, let's say that you're an American and you can speak English mm-hmm. and you had, say, two weeks and you had to visit some places in India, what would your recommendations be? Okay, so again, I always say... Uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm going to repeat this question for one month and three months. So okay, just for, sure, sure. If you want to process the answer before. So, no, no, <laughs> so don't worry about that. My answer is pretty, uh, uh, pretty uh, universal. So it depends on where you are coming from. For example, right now, I live uh, uh, in a place which is right next to the coast. The beach is mm-hmm. 300 meters from my home. So for me, any beachy destination is like, oh, okay, big deal, right? But I know, I right. know when people come from Delhi and they look at the sea and they go crazy and it's understandable, perfectly understandable. So what you are looking for, what is right for you depends on where you are and what you are seeking again. If you live in a, in, if you live in a landlocked place, then going to sea is going to be a different experience for you. If you live in hills, uh, going to sea is going to be a different experience and vice versa. So first of all, that. But having said that, there are a few things. I have a blog post on 12 must-have experiences in India, which are very, very uniquely Indian. Uh, I will link it in the the description, but go ahead. Yes. So... um, One of the experiences that India is very, very well known for uh, and uh, for which we have been attracting pilgrims since ages and every traveler worth their salt has visited uh, is our spiritual destinations. And in that, I think Varanasi tops the list because it has been attracting people and it has so much to offer to any kind of traveler. So that should be one or any of the ancient pilgrimage places you can visit. You can visit Haridwar, Rishikesh, you can visit Kanchipuram in the south or Ujjain in the central India or Kamakya in the eastern coast, uh, sorry, in the east. So any of these, so I would say, because the, the, the kind of experience these places offer is pretty unique. You may not find that kind of experience outside of these centers. Uh, Anyway, India gets a lot of spiritual tourists who come um, in in the hope of getting enlightened. And a lot of them choose to settle here or follow their uh, Guru Parampara here. So that's one. Uh, second, you can also experience the true blue luxurious hospitality of India in places like Rajasthan. Uh Rajasthan is one state which has maintained its heritage palaces and forts and they still give you that experience. You know, we we cannot be kings and queens in our times uh, and in our lives. But, uh, you know, for a a small amount of money, you get to experience that luxury. And believe me, I have traveled in a lot of places outside India. Uh, When it comes to luxury quotient, 
uh, we are probably at the top. It's just that our branding is not there. We are not seen as a luxury destination, but the as a luxury destination. Yes, but the kind of luxury uh, quotient that we offer. You know, I was on this uh, luxury train called Deccan Odyssey, and there are five such luxury trains in India. Uh, very costly, very expensive, very exclusive. But you will feel like a queen. I mean, I felt like a queen. I a red carpet was laid out on the station. I had a personal butler to uh, attend everything. There was, you know, it was absolute luxury to dine on the um, on the train to have everything, performances on the train, and going destination to destination. So there are a lot of these things that. I recommend people should do. Then, of course, wellness and uh, wellness tourism is is really upcoming. Uh, most of the West Coast in India offers it. Uh, those are good. But uh, I would also say places like Odisha, which have a beautiful melange of culture, be it in terms of handicrafts, handlooms, culture, performing arts. Uh, if somebody can attend a dance festival, we have them around this time of the year, December, January. A lot of dance festivals happen in a lot of heritage spaces. You can see them. And then, of course, we have about 40-odd World Heritage Sites. See them. Go and see tigers in central India. Um, uh, uh, the jungles of Bandhavgarh, Kanha, Pench, uh, these are the places where you can see tigers up close and personal. You can see them. Uh, I have seen um, tigers in Pench. Is that safe? Yes, yes. You you go with the jungle guards and you go with all precautions. I mean, I've seen them. You can see my videos on of Collar Valley. She just passed away two days back. She was the queen of uh, Pench National Park. She she gave birth to 29 cubs and I have seen her walking with her two, three cubs. And those videos are there on Inditale's channel. And uh, I will find it and put it in the description as well. Yes. So uh, and these are the these are the things that you'll see only here. I mean, wildlife, you want to see a single horned rhinos, then go to uh, the jungles of Assam in Kaziranga. You will see single horned rhinos. Uh, actually, you find them all along from Assam to Jaldapara in West Bengal to the Terai region, which borders the Nepal. Uh, but the easiest to see is in Jaldapara in uh, in the North Bengal or Kaziranga in Assam. Uh, these are some of the experiences. I mean, there's so many of them. I would say go and visit one of the art villages. You know, we have these artisan villages around the country. Again, zero focus on them, but we have a full section where we've covered a lot of those artisan villages. For example... What is an artisan village? Okay, I'm coming to that. So, for example, in uh, Andhra Pradesh, uh, there is a village called Kuchipudi. Now, you probably mm -hmm. know that Kuchipudi is one of the seven classical dances of India, which comes from Andhra Pradesh. But do you know Kuchipudi is actually the name of the village from which the dance comes and everybody in that village is engaged in uh, something to do with Dancing. the dance. Yes. So either they are dancers or they are teachers or they are costume makers or they are jewelry makers or they are musicians and they make everything themselves, um, their instruments, everything. Everybody in that village is involved with the Kuchipodi dance. Uh, similarly, in Chhattisgarh, I have been to a village called Ektal, where everybody makes these brass murtis. So everybody in that village makes these beautiful brass murtis, uh, national award winning people living in that village. The whole village does that. And such villages are found across India, across India. And I have a lot of them covered on in details. That is very interesting. I would love to know how these guys sustain themselves because oh, they are doing. I have never heard any of these people. Oh, you, uh, yeah, that's the problem. And that's why we work. That's why I choose to highlight them. So, for example, let me tell you, there mm. is this village called Amroha in UP, in Western UP. Uh, that whole village is engaged in making, it's actually a town now. Uh, they make these uh, percussion instruments, dholaks and tablas. 
And anywhere you go, if you see a dholak or tabla, it's probably come from Amroha, the whole village. Now, you'll think how they are sustaining themselves. But what you don't realize is that they are from that cluster. They are running that global business. They are supplying everywhere in the world. They have a beautiful supply chain. They have simple people living in. Everybody is working from their homes. They are creating things and they are supplying to the world, not just India. They have an absolute sustainable business. You know, I have I have covered many such villages around India. So, for example, I did a story on Pirozabad, um, which is the biggest bangle maker in India. The whole city is engaged in making glass bangles. So if you see any woman in, in the country wearing glass bangles, it's probably come from there. That is very interesting. I had never heard of this before. So I would, so yes, and uh, this is what I call industrial tourism as well. I think in this case, your blog is like one of the best places. Someone who wants to learn more about and visit India, he can find more offbeat places yes. to visit, which will not have big crowds and would be interesting to see Indian culture and more. Yes, yes. So, for example, I, we've coll- collaborated recently with the Central Silk Board and Silk Mark of India. And we've done mm-hmm. a few stories on silk. So I visited the silk clusters and we wrote stories about how silk sarees are woven and how the whole industry is. And believe me, when I wrote about Banarsi sarees, there's so many people writing to me saying that, you know, we know there is a Banarsi saree. We didn't know there are these 20, 30 different types of sarees. Now we know and now we'll be more uh, careful in picking up sarees or how the zari is made. You know, zari is real gold and real silver and how that is woven into a piece of cloth so and finding the historical references to that so um, we're trying to create an impact which is both knowledge and uh, which enriches our enriches the lives of our readers Anuradha let me make this question a bit broader now. Mm-hmm. Let's say that someone comes to India with an e-visa, which is like a free visa. They can just apply for on the internet and then fly to India and they will have a visa. Yes. And this is free. And let's say that they plan to stay in India for three months. What? Where would you start? See, you mentioned Rajasthan is a great place for luxurious stuff. So let's say that they land in Jaipur. So uh, I would say spend your one month in, in Rajasthan. Rajasthan has many, many things to offer. It has the it has a beautiful bird century. It has the forts and palaces. It has beautiful water management systems, which you can study. It has great food. Uh, if you want, you can extend it to either uh, Gujarat on the, on the southern side or a little bit towards Madhya Pradesh, where you can cover things like Gwalior and Khajurao. Uh, and see a bit of that culture as well. So one month is just good enough to cover these places. I I would not I would I do what I do not recommend people is that you keep flying from one corner of the country to another, uh, just to tick off those top ten things. Stick to a, a radius of maybe five hundred kilometers, uh, or maybe three hundred kilometers from wherever you want to base yourself. Again, it's a function of time, you know, for example, I would not recommend Rajasthan if you're coming in summers. Uh, I would, uh, I, you can't go to uh, jungles if it is uh, monsoons. Uh, so those kind of things you have to factor in. I see. So in the summers, you would not recommend Rajasthan, it's but say hot. a place like Kashmir, uh, so, Jammu and Kashmir uh, so, You know, better. Jammu Kashmir is, is, popular in the sense it's well known uh, but it's also not very stable uh, what we forget is that indian himalayas in india stretch from ladakh till arunachal pradesh and mm-hmm. i would suggest go to places like sikkim which is one of the most beautiful states in india it's small but beautiful 100% organic state uh, very, very beautiful. Small state, but very beautiful state. Uh, Arunachal Pradesh, uh, you uh, you can get all that. You can go to the Lahol Spiti area of uh, Himachal. You can go to Uttarakhand, of course. 
uh, and you know all that the so himalaya stretch across the breadth of uh, north india they're not just in kashmir and in Correct. and within jammu and kashmir also jammu has lot of things to offer which we tend to kind somehow uh, you know the hindi films have Forget. have uh, <laughs> have put so much focus on shrinagar which is beautiful no doubt it's beautiful but it's just one small valley uh ladakh is very very beautiful uh, and very very unique it's one of the one of the few cold deserts in the world so explore those areas as well I see. What about South India? Let's say that someone say if they're for, they're in for three months. Let's say they spend one month exploring Rajasthan, Madhya Pradesh, Gujarat, like you mentioned, and then they fly to, up north and they check out Sikkim, mm-hmm. they check out Himachal Pradesh, and the locations in that area. What about coming down south? Then, let, because to cover India, we have to also cover the southern country. We the southern can part do, of the country. like I said, you know, don't do it in all in one trip. So, for example, the Lahore Spiti trip that I'm telling you to do that whole driving trip, uh, you need at least fifteen days. I took seventeen or eighteen days to, to do that trip. It's not so. These places are not. very easy to navigate it's not like you make a flying visit and come back but in the south but i'll come to south uh, karnataka has a lot to offer it again has a lot mm-hmm. of forests it has a lot of heritage site the hoysala temples are simply beautiful tamil nadu again has lot of stuff to offer uh, kerala is of course well known and it's well promoted and well known and it receives lot of uh, uh, a uh, lot of tourists so uh, sometimes i find it is it gets more than its fair share of tourists so i <laughs> and and because of that you know uh, what happens is that when you get too many tourists the place starts to behave for the tourist losing its original essence it becomes a tourist town basically yes it becomes a tourist town are all these places english friendly because most people who are listening to this podcast are not going to be people who can speak hindi or any local languages so, so that is not a problem because any tourist place anywhere in the world always gears up for the tourists so for example i live in goa which receives lot of russian tourists so if you go to the areas where tourists come almost everybody speaks russian If you travel to Banaras, where a lot of South Indians go, everybody speaks Telugu or Tamil. So language is never a barrier. And in India, everybody understands basic English. They all understand the basic conversational or what I call operational English. Uh, you may not be able to converse and have conversations, but everybody understands that. So I don't see for English-speaking people, it is definitely not a problem. But for people who do not speak English, uh, mm-hmm. they they may have to struggle a little bit. And even there, it depends what language you are speaking. So, for example, if you speak Spanish or Portuguese and come to Goa, you're perfectly fine. Spanish and Portuguese. Oh, because it used to, be, used to be a Portuguese colony. If you speak French and you are in Pondicherry, you are perfectly fine. So it depends. You know. It, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, for example, I was saying that uh, uh, if you are a Tamil speaker in North India, you have the same problem. Or if you are a Hindi speaker speaker in South India, you have the same problem. So I really don't see. We all travel to places where we don't speak language, and that is one of the experiences of travel to be able to converse without the barriers of language. Everybody learns it. It's not a rocket science. Everybody learns it easily, organically. I see. You know, there's a big myth that, or at least what I feel is a myth from my experience, that India is unsafe for women. And if you go on the internet and you look on like boards which will give you recommendations on cheering India, they will often mention that India is unsafe for women. But in my experience, this has not been the case. And since you have been traveling solo for so long, what has your experience been? it is the biggest myth and i have been uh, talking about it for many years now india is at worst india is as safe or unsafe as any other place in this world it is definitely safer than many of the uh, many of the places in the western world 
and for me personally as an indian it is my home it is my safest place i have never faced and if you go on internet you'll find lot of my talks that i have given at places like national women summit mm-hmm. and i have spoken about this that india is i'm not saying that no wrong things happen here things happen uh, but are they sporadic are they exceptions or are they a rule they are definitely an exception they get highlighted far more than uh, they get highlighted elsewhere in the world if you go simply by statistics mm-hmm. india is nowhere in the top countries for crime against women nowhere if you go purely by statistics and another big myth uh, which is not directly related to travel but indirectly it is 97 to 98% of the rapes that happen they happen within the family and known circles not with the strangers which means you are far more safer amongst the strangers than within your family and friends and globally i'm talking about globally so india is not safe is a big big myth and you can speak to any woman traveler and today there are a lot of women travelers in the country they will tell you the same uh but i also when i say this i also put a uh, a small disclaimer that again uh, the basic philosophy what you give is what you get you as a traveler also have to be responsible and sensitive to the place you are going to you have to be respectful to the people you are visiting if you go with a condescending attitude which lot of times urban people tend to do in the rural settings uh you are going to get that back in some form and shape you have to be respectful to the people you have to be grateful to them for allowing you in their time, their space uh you have to be sensitive to their cultural notions you can for example you can wear anything you want to wear to a night club or to a beach but you can't uh apply, you can't expect people to not to react to uh the same kind of dressing when you go to a village anything that makes you stand out will attract attention attract undue attention so uh you have to be sensitive to that it, it's the same and it's not one way it's the same if you wear a heavy uh kanjivaram sari and go to the beach to swim you're going to also attract attention because you are an exception there so <laughs> so fit in with the crowd you have to fit in with the crowd and that has not just it, uh, it decreases your vulnerability it also lets people let people open up to you 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 tell people that we are interested in you we trying you speak a few words in their language and people in general they open up their hearts to you in general people are uh, people in this world are far far better than what the media would like us to believe i think the western media in particular is very biased against india because they will publish like outright lies so i remember seeing an article where they concluded that india was among the 10 worst countries for women and the way they concluded that was they sent a survey out to a bunch of people who had never even visited india and they asked them what countries do you think are unsafe for women and then they just said these are unsafe for women yes. so it had countries like the us in the list in the top 10 and no african countries and you know so it it it's really a big bias against okay. india in my okay. opinion okay so uh, in my younger days uh, when i was not married and uh, i was a single independent working woman i have lived in many many cities of india i have lived in us uh, i have lived in uk and i have rented houses there and lived only in mm-hmm. U- us um and houston to be precise i was told uh, by the company i was working for not to take houses in certain localities because they are not safe only there have i seen my uh, team members being uh, robbed in broad daylight uh, to take a, a, a gold ring that they were wearing or or our you know our laptops being stolen from our cars uh in london i was told certain tube stations i should not go to after it's dark i have never been told that in india 
I have never, I have, I have, uh, and, and I'm talking about the days when I was single and I was working independent. Uh, I, in, I've rented houses in Bangalore, uh, Gurgaon, Noida, the notorious places. Nobody has ever told me, don't, don't take a house in that area. That's not safe for women. Uh, so uh, India is absolutely safe. And believe me, there was a survey of 15 women from India, 15 women journalists from India participated. And they said India is the worst country for women travelers. I have tagged them on Twitter and I have asked them, please tell me incidents from your personal life where you felt unsafe. I have 20 incidents from my life where I can say that when I did not sense a danger and somebody sensed a danger around me, people have created a shield around me and protected me. I have, and I on record put those in, on, in my videos. So please tell me where have you felt unsafe and what is your justification for saying that? Nobody has responded to me. So you have to understand, and these are the people who actually never step out on their own. They probably step out with uh, four bodyguards around them. And then they say it's unsafe. But yes, of course, you have to be very, very, as, as, as independent traveler means you, ha you have to be a very responsible traveler. Um, and as long as you are respectful to people, the people will give you far more than you can ever give them. Hey, I can attest to that, you know. You know, I was visiting this village here in India. It's actually not that far away from where I live. And I was with my friend and we were just walking by and this village is like a very, very small village. So there are no restaurants there. So what we were doing is we were eating these, you know, these medaki snacks mm -hmm. you get, which are like, uh, I don't know what it's called. Like It's a circle and then it's fried and it has this filling inside it. It's like a mini kachori. Mm -hmm. So we were eating this stuff for like breakfast, lunch and dinner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, I, I, I do talk about not eating fried foods on my channel, but there was literally nothing. That's okay. Survival, you have to eat. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing in that village. And some guy just saw us eating that and he invited us to his house and he fed us. So this was an old guy and him, him and his, you know, family they gave us tea and then when we were coming back to where we were staying another guy stopped us and he gave us a full lunch so he gave us like yeah. sabzi and rice and he, he was not even like miserly about it he, he actually bathed our food in ghee and he refused to accept money and then he was showing us his cow and he gave like us gave us fresh milk from his desi cow not the avan foreign breed mm -hmm. cow but actual desi cows and the milk was also really delicious and he refused to accept yeah. any money whatsoever. That's, that's the, you know, I have a post by a, a woman biker on my, who's a friend, Shilpa, and she has written, she did a solo bike trip around India uh, and touching every state of India. And she has so many experiences of kindness on the road that she has faced she met with an accident at one place and she was hosted by a family locally there they took care of her she broke her leg and she had to rest wherever she is and and they just hosted her they just hosted her and she has so many stories to uh, share of the kindness that she got on the road literally everywhere in India literally everywhere and all of us have these stories it's just that the people who are uh, I think we give too much importance to western media that's it I do think that it's a good thing the western media western people itself are noticing that their media is lying to them and that is true even here, you know, all medias are lying to everyone. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's what they do, it's what they do. So that's again, uh, so I would say media is also a content business, uh, pretty much like the business mm -hmm. we are in. And it takes a lot of strength to say that we will not lie because you get paid a lot to lie. So it's easy, it's easy, it's easy, it's very easy money. And if you go and talk to journalists in smaller places, and I've sometimes been on media trips with people like these, and uh, they will tell you they get paid not to write stories more than what they get paid to write. So, uh, you know, it's it's a content business. There are too many players, and uh, uh, it's easy to 
make money and it's easy to be on top by paying money. Speaking of money, let me change the topic a bit. Mm-hmm. How much does it actually cost to travel India? Is it expensive or not? Because if you take the cost of an e-visa, an e-visa is free. And your biggest cost, in my experience, is likely to just be the plane ticket. Uh, so plane ticket. <laughs> Maybe I just miss yeah. sleeping in like cheaper places. Yeah, so it depends. Again, uh, it depends. If you are in your 20s and you can backpack, then it's damn cheap. I mean, it's probably the cheapest place to be in. If you have, uh, uh, if you are in your 40s, uh, 50s and you want a comfortable luxury life, then uh, uh, then you can spend as much as you want. So if you if you do not have money and or do not have much money, you can always get into volunteering or you can do some odd jobs and make uh, basic money to pay for your uh, rent or food. I don't think India is, no. India is not at all expensive for backpackers. Um, so it, I, I would say it has the range, you know, you can have the, uh, have the lowest um, minimum, uh, you know, quality of living or cost of living. And you can have the cheapest like hotels in the world. A normal hotel, these hotels are also not expensive at all, especially by Western standards. For example, like if you go to any tourist town, you can find a decent place to stay, like not a bad or cheap place, but a decent one for like $40 a night. Mm. And $40 a night isn't a lot of money at all. Yes, so, yes, yes. $40 is a decent money. Uh, Harsh, I just want to stop you for a minute. I don't see this um, this wave of sound. I see it only on your uh, speaking, not on my Don't worry, That's don't worry. Okay, right? it, it's probably should be getting recorded yeah. okay you want to check that uh there's nothing i can actually do to check it live okay outside of stopping the podcast but i see that your local backup size has been increasing up to 45 mb so it's probably getting stored okay. don't worry okay. about it sure carry on then yeah so $40 a night is actually not expensive at all and if someone wants to go cheaper and these places aren't like bad at all even you can stay for like 25 dollars a night in most places in the country and they are decent like they aren't luxury by any means but it's a great safe place to sleep for 20 bucks a night well, uh, you know in in the in the tourist estimations you can find something as cheap as 10 dollars uh, you have dormitories uh, which are decent uh, you have shared uh, facilities but that's it you know if you just need a place to sleep then it really doesn't matter uh, uh, so you can go as cheap as that. I mean, I know people who have traveled, who have done this experiment of traveling on $10 a day or $20 a day or $50 a day, and they've pretty much easily survived. Yeah, India is very cheap by Western standards. I've heard of people who come here for getting a surgery mm-hmm. and apparently they can fly to India, get their surgery yes then tour India, then go back yes. to their home country like the US and it's still cheaper. Yes, so dental tourism, medical tourism is coming up in a big way. And, uh, but I, I mean, the moment it comes in a big way, the, the, the cost advantage will go away, of course. But I would not like to say India is a cheap country. I would say India allows all kinds of travelers. Uh, your money is not a deal breaker if you do not have money we have places to accommodate you if you have money we we also have the world's costliest properties you know places like Omed Bhavan places some of these lake palaces in uh, Rajasthan or uh, even properties in tea gardens uh, in even in uh, backwaters we have some of the most costliest experiences in the world the luxury trains that i spoke about and everything in between Mm -hmm. so i do not want uh, this labeling of india is a cheap place india has a space for every kind of traveler irrespective of your budget so it, it doesn't say for example there are destinations where you cannot go if you don't have them the right amount of money but India says you want to come to India, you come to India. We have, irrespective of your budget, we have something for you. 
what can be done to make our trips more enjoyable? Because I've had this experience where, for example, I was visiting a temple and this was when I was much younger and I didn't know anything about the temple. So for me, I was just going there, seeing it and then coming back. Mm -hmm. But I noticed that like at least in the recent destinations that I have visited, I did some research on the history and then that place suddenly becomes more magical. You understand why it was built why it is the way it is, why these architectures exist, etc. So what do you think of this, especially since that you've traveled so many places and you are more familiar with Indian scriptures than I am? Yes. So uh, this is how I plan. I recommend planning your uh, uh, trip is that you research the destination. You will come out with, I mean, today there's so much information on the internet that any destination you google you will find 50 odd things to do and you can't do 50 things uh, unless you shift to that place you'll have to choose some of them Uh, so say let's say you're traveling for three days or five days so you see what you can fit in you can you can you know you can locationally split your trip saying that i'm going to be north one day south one day central part one day or whichever way you want to structure it and say this is what I want to see and this trip this is what I want to eat this is what I want to visit this is what I want to do but but the bigger recommendation I have is that always leave some empty unstructured space to let the destination surprise you to show you its magic and the magic happens in those unstructured spaces if you fill every minute of your uh, time in the destination then you'll be just picking off things you know but if you allow that time just sit in the corner of a street or on a, in a cafe or on a beach or just in a marketplace observe talk to people you will invariably discover something that nobody else has that is the magic of travel and you have to allow that to happen. I see what you mean there. And, you know, a lot of people, they plan the itinerary so much that they just don't leave space for the magic. They just, it becomes like a machine. I go from X place to Y place and I come back and I didn't really enjoy it much because I had to immediately go somewhere else. Yes. And if you leave something, then it hurts you. Oh, I had to, you know. So leave some space. So I would say plan 50, 60%, 70% maybe, 30% leave the space for finding out something. You know, I have special experience about when you leave something, it hurts you because this is about, say, 12, 13 years ago when I was maybe 13 or 12 years old. We went to Gangotri with my family. You know Gangotri, yes, right? Yes. It's the origin of the yes, Ganga. Yes, And it was very cold there. It was so freezing cold. And I remember my parents, you know, they buy these small plastic containers yes. and take the water from the yes. Ganga home. Yes. And you have to step inside the Ganga to do yes. it. And the reason I did not step in the Ganga was because it was so cold. It was so cold that I couldn't remove my shoes and step inside. And I really regret not doing that, you know. I think I, I've always thought that maybe it's like, you know, in my fate, it's that I will go here again. And then I will do it, maybe with my children. Yes, there is a time for everything. And there have been, I mean, I don't know if I should speak about it, but there have been times when I have been wanting to go to a destination and everybody has these destinations that you've always been planning to, you keep planning, uh, it never happens. Uh, but then when you eventually go there, you realize why you did not come here earlier because you were not prepared for that destination. And it's something that you will probably understand with time and age. So don't, don't yeah, the, the, the nature uh, uh, has a bigger plan for you always. In fact, I think it's one of the best journeys in India. Like in, I haven't traveled as much, but I do remember this particular. So I did the Chardham Yatra as a kid, like right. Yamunotri, Gangotri, Kedarnath and Badrinath. Right. And I still remember it. Mm-hmm. And this was when my grandma was still around. So she wanted to do it. So we had gone with mm-hmm. her. And I think that someone who is, say, Indian and wants to travel India more, this is a good place to start. What do you think? Depends. I'm yet to go there. 
Can you believe it? Oh, you're yet I'm to yet go to go there. And I've been wanting, this is one of those destinations that I have been wanting to go. And I've been so many times till Rishikesh, um, but it's just not happened. So, uh, you know, everybody has a different journey. You can't really say this is the place to begin. You can't say, you can begin where you are standing. True that, true that. Anuradha, this has been a great podcast so far. I've I've enjoyed speaking with you. I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways from your life and your traveling experiences have been and what advice you have for the younger generation who's listening to this. Mm, well, I am very driven by learning. For me, a day is not complete till I have learned something new. And the day I do not learn, I meditate it. Uh, so for me, life is a, uh, is a journey in learning. And as long as I keep learning, uh, I, I, I'm happy, mm-hmm. you know, and travel is the biggest educator. It's the biggest university in the world. Nothing can teach you what travel can teach you. It can teach you from patience to uh, perseverance, to adaptability, to what your college can teach you, you know, when you stand there, let's say, in a in a pottery factory or in a in a bangle making factory, and you actually see everything. Uh, there's nothing that any textbook or any college can teach you. So for me, the biggest learning is travel is my biggest university, followed by books, which is like if travel is first-hand knowledge, books is second-hand knowledge. So you're learning from somebody else's learnings, you know, whatever they have learned, they put it in the books and you learn it from there. But that can, that is where I derive my inspiration and information from. So these are two of the things. If one thing I can say, I mean, I, I really don't like giving advices and teaching. <laughs> You've come to the wrong place. Uh, <laughs> but if there's one thing I, I would say, uh, always keep your goal bigger than yourself. Uh, you know, making money is not, a, it should be one of the side goals. It should happen. Uh, if I can, if I can mm-hmm. say it in, in, in uh, Hindi, it will say, I would say, Saraswati ke piche bhago, Lakshmi ko tumhare piche aane do. So you run after learning and let the prosperity run after you. And and I'm I'm not saying it uh, in air. Um, I think to an extent I have made that happen. Uh, so you follow what you want to do and let and your goal should be larger than your just you. And then uh, the bigger things happen if you. Just run after money, run making money, you will make money, no doubt. But then you will not know what to do with that money. And then you look for uh, avenues to spend that money and derive your sense of identity from that. You know, I have this branded car and I have this branded clothes and whatever. But if your sense of purpose is much larger, that sense of purpose will give you identity which no brand can give you because brand to koi bhi kharid sakta mm, so it's like using money as a tool and not being the tool used by money yes 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 and also you know like our indian scriptures say i should have the money i should have enough money i mean in our scriptures are very clear in saying you should earn and you should earn a lot of money but i should more importantly i should have the wisdom to use that money i think we should do a complete podcast on Indian scriptures because it is something that I'm very interested yes, in and a lot of people listening are interested as well. And you seem, you know a lot about them. Yes, let's do it. How to read Indian scriptures. We'll do one podcast on that. Awesome. You know, when you mention that Chase, um, Saraswati and Lakshmi will come for you, it reminds me of a story that my, I, I remember reading this either in Chanakaniti or my mother told me where Lakshmi and Saraswati had a fight or something. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can't have both. You can have both. Is that a real you story? Are, no, okay. So all stories are metaphorical, but uh, uh, you can have both. You know, you can have both. They are two different, they're, they're two different swaroops of the same Shakti. Mm. They are not two different swaroops. But if you run after one uh, only, then the other one obviously feels left out. 
Ah, I see. So I think the story was that Tilani, Tinali Raman is offered two types of dai mm-hmm. and one dai is supposed to make him very smart mm-hmm. and one dai is supposed to make him very rich. But he has to pick mm-hmm. one and then he goes and drinks both. So, yeah, I think it's super interesting. I think a lot of lessons for life are covered in our scriptures yes. and it's... It's a shame, really, that we don't know much about it. Well, we'll, we'll don't, I mean, don't be ashamed of things. I mean, that's one thing I said. Don't be proud and ashamed too easily. Uh, so we'll mm-hmm. change that. I mean, it's something I only see it as something that we need to change. And I have seen that in my last three, four years of reading and sharing them on social media and with people who are associated with me. I know at least 50 odd people who have started reading now. So that's, I mean, if they can inspire another 50, that's it. I see. So where can people find you? Where do they reach you? Your Twitter handle, your website, please tell us more. So um, if you can Google me, if you can remember my name, Anuradha Goyal, you can Google me. I'm pretty much Googleable. You can very easily Mm -hmm. find me. I have my own website, which is anuradhagoyal.com. And I have my travel blog, which is indietales.com, I-N-D-I-T-A-L-E-S.com. And I am on most social media with both these handles, Anuradha Goyal and Indietales. So if you remember these two words, you can find me pretty much anywhere, everywhere. All right, you guys. I will have the links in the in the description for you guys. And I also highly recommend reading this book by Anuradha. It is called Lotus in the Stone. I've read the book and that's one of the reasons why I asked her for an interview. It's a very good book. It, it'll show you a lot about what India is about. And especially if you are Indian, because like Anuradha said, a lot of people will live in the same city forever and not know what the places in that city are. And that applies as a country too. People don't know much about India. And it's ironic that some of the people who know nothing about India are people who are living in India. So, you know what? It's a good book. Sorry. Go ahead. I am interrupting you, but let me share what uh, this book has been out for about a year now. And the feedback that I have from many youngsters like you is that. Uh, they are uh, they are feeling very emotional. A lot of them cried. Um, and why? Uh, because it's not a sad book. It doesn't have any sad story. It's a very happy book. Uh, because they said, we suddenly realized the richness around us, the prosperity around us, the, you know, how rich we are is what we realized after reading this. Why do you think that is the case? Because we, we've been ignoring what is in plain sight. I see what you mean. This is a thought I've been having for many years now, all the way back from 2015. Was the fact that, you know, when history is taught in schools in India, you learn about Chandragupta Maurya and Chanakya. Mm-hmm. And then you learn about all the Mughal invasions. Mm-hmm. And then we had invaders who ruled us. And then we had the British who ruled us. And I think at some level, because we spend our life learning Indian history as a series of other people who ruled over us, Mm -hmm. it kind of takes away from our national pride because we tend to think that what is there to be proud of? Like our entire history, we were like under someone else's control. And one of the reasons why I use a Chanakya DP is because of his nationalism, of the fact that he united India for the first time. He didn't unite India for the first time, but we know that's the first recorded time, the oldest recorded time that we know of. Uh, but having, I mean, uh, what you're saying is true, but uh, the, the way I see it is that all the history is taught to us from a Western eye. So they'll tell you that, um, you know, uh, Sri Ram, was somebody, uh, uh, you know, Pallavas were somebody, Cholas were somebody. It, they don't tell you they were your ancestors. Exactly. Who was Chandragupta Maurya? He was my ancestor. They don't tell us, they don't say these are our temples or our monuments. They say they. So that is where the disconnect comes. We start seeing them as something belonging to somebody else. It is ours. It was built by our ancestors, and we should be, we should be damn proud of, uh, of the fact that we have places like Elora. I mean, it's the biggest wonder in the world. It. I have. I have. I've seen. I have seen many other so-called 
World Heritage Sites, nothing. Everything is absolutely pale in front of places like Brihadeshwara in Tanjore, Gandharia Mahadev in Khajurao or Elora, uh, Kailashnath Temple in Elora. Absolute engineering marvels. In fact, I don't know if you've read the engineering marvels chapter in Lotus and the Stone. I have a full chapter describing the engineering heritage of India and why are we not teaching that in our engineering schools? What are we creating today? Glass and steel boxes? Mm, corporate structures. When, when, our, when our heritage, even in residential houses, what are we creating today? No, no aesthetics, nothing. Look at our heritage, you know, every inch of the wall is telling a story and it is serving a practical purpose. Look at our ancient water management systems. They leave you spellbound. I have a podcast on water management system in Rajasthan, which is the most densely populated desert in the world. And you will be surprised at how they, how they, uh, even took out water from the air. They knew how to tap that water and preserve that and use it intelligently. Interesting. I was not aware of that. <laughs> I need to learn more. <laughs> you need to read in details. <laughs> I am. I have read some articles. In fact, I'm, I'm going to read it more. And it's super interesting because all the locations are places I have never heard of. Because as a normal person, you hear about the popular places but you don't hear about the less popular or you know the places which are not in the top one percent let's bring them in top one percent let's do it let's do it all right anuradha i will see you soon this was a great podcast and thank you for being here we really appreciate it thank you for having me harsh and i wish you all the best